Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, Lori LeBay. And I don't know where you are, but it is a gorgeous day here in Minnesota. The sky is blue, and the, the trees are just all covered with snow, but it's it's really quite pretty, even though it's very cold here. Um, I'm indoors, so I'm enjoying it from my view here. Um, I want to, before we start the show, just explain a little bit about um, what Alzheimer's Speaks is, because we always get new listeners, and I think it's important to you, for you to know what our foundation is and kind of what our, our mission is. So Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world, and we truly believe by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, that we are going to be able to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss, and that we're going to be able to help people live better with this disease. We'll also, through these conversations, give and share the true needs of this disease, um, removing some of those myths that create such fear and isolation for both the person with dementia and those who care for them. At our core, we believe collaboratively we can win this battle against dementia, and I know we're making a difference because of all of you. Each of your likes and shares and clicks while you're sitting here listening to this show has a huge impact, and I want to thank you so much for just taking the time to put your finger on your mouse and click that like and share it with your, if it's your LinkedIn friends, your Google circles, your Facebook um, tribe, whatever it is. Maybe, you're, maybe you like to tweet. Uh, maybe you like to share it on other platforms like Dig and Stumbler. All of those things um, help get information to people in need. And one of the things that I have found so fascinating on my 30-year journey with this is how many people that I knew um, but didn't know were dealing with some type of dementia. They either themselves or knew somebody who was struggling with the disease. And when we push this information out, we just make it available. So when people are ready to grab it, it's there. And again, all of your clicks and likes are making a huge difference because uh, Dr. Oz and ShareCare named us as the number one influencer regarding Alzheimer's um, online, which is just, you know, huge. 
So again, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you because this is my passion and my life's work uh, to connect people. And we want to be able to continue to raise awareness and give voice to those afflicted with memory loss, um, their care partners, as well as advocates and business professionals supporting the cause. You know, we just can't um, be driven by fear anymore. Um, Alzheimer's Speaks is really about giving people hope. And together, I think we can teach people to live with the disease, not as the disease. Now, as far as our conversation goes on this show, it is very free-flowing, and we love our audience to participate, and you can do that in a couple of different modes. One, you can use your chat box, and you can go ahead and put in a question or comment, um, and I will pull that in as soon as there's a break in the conversation with our guests. The other is... Um, you can call in live to the show. And that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that is 714-364-4757. And... Um, you know, we like I said, we'd love to hear your voice. Sometimes people have a comment. Sometimes it's a question that they would like to ask uh, one of our guests, and we are we are definitely open to both. I also like to give a shout out to some of my favorite organizations, um, ADI or Alzheimer's Speaks International is an absolutely fantastic organization that so many people don't know about, but they are the organization of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. So no matter where you're located, if you are looking for an Alzheimer's association, go to Alzheimer's Disease International and you'll be able to find the closest one to you. On top of that, they are just involved with all of the the global networking that is going on and they are doing some incredible work and they have some wonderful, wonderful resources. Um, in addition to Alzheimer's, there are some other types of dementias. You know, there's over a hundred different types of dementias. Um, but I'm just going to mention a couple of other organizations that can be really helpful to you. One is the Lewy Body Association. And um, again, you can just Google them. And Lewy is um, L-E- W.Y. Lewy Body Dementia Association. There is also the Association for the Frontal Temporal uh, Degeneration, and their um, their website is just the and then aftd.org. So the and a and then ftd, kind of like the flowers. dot org, um, is another great um, association with a very specific information for you. There's also the Aphasia Association for um, people sometimes are struggling with their speech. Um, they are just a wonderful organization as well. Um, the Alzheimer's Studies uh, group, um, and you can just Google again Alzheimer's Studies and you will find information on a clinical trial that is in its uh, in its third trial and um, for Tau study. So check out Alzheimer's Studies. And the Purple Angel Project, for those of you that are not aware of that, is a fairly new um, project in the works. 
and it is a new symbol, a new global symbol for dementia. No words, just a globe and an angel. If you'd like more information, you can go to uh, my website, Alzheimer's Speaks, and I'd be more than glad to talk to you about how you can participate in that project um, by, you know, helping be uh, an ambassador to spread spread the word on that. And then a couple of recreational things that I think are just really fun. Um, music first with Coral Health. Uh, music is just so important and so key to, to most of us in our lives. And it can really help um, change our reactions and switch our moods. And Coral Health has done some massive research on that. Music first is actually an app that you can download and have it be portable. Um, Puzzle with Me is just uh, puzzles that were designed specifically for older clientele, um, smaller uh, number of pieces, but larger, easier to handle. And then the Jiminy Wicket program, which I, I totally love, which is a croquet game, which is international, um, intergenerational, and is just doing some, some marvelous, marvelous work. So Enough for my housekeeping here. I'm very excited to go to our our program today because um, we're going to be talking about dementia and Alzheimer's awareness projects. And our first guest is Vivian Green Corner. And she's doing some pretty cool stuff. Um, so I can't wait for this conversation to start. Vivian earned her MA degree from New York University, and she is a certified dementia care practitioner. She is currently in private practice, and she assists individuals with dementia and their family caregivers through the caring process. She offers dementia care training to healthcare professionals and um, presentations to the community. Prior in her career, she held a position of director at the Kaplan Adult Research Center a social adult day uh, care program for 17 years. And her clinical experience is extensive, including hospital, residential, and community-based settings. For over 20 years, she has facilitated caregiver support groups um, through the affiliation of the Alzheimer's Association. And her knowledge and guidance has helped hundreds of caregivers provide appropriate, competent, and sensitive care uh, to avoid burnout. So welcome, Vivian. How are you today? I'm very good. And I, uh, I appreciate so much in being part of your program and the incredible work that you're doing. So thank you very, very much. And well, we're enjoying a really, snowy day in New Jersey. Yes, yeah, you are. It's coming your way there. <laughs> Sorry about that. But, you know, hopefully it's not as bad as what was it, Texas? It just sounded horrible down there. Um, yeah, the weather is, is always interesting this time of year. So I just hope everybody is safe and warm and dry and be careful out there driving and walking. It can be just as dangerous walking sometimes. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to talk to you about what all you are doing. And you have gotten started with a, a special awareness week in your area. So why don't you just tell us uh, what what do you call the program and how did it get started? Well, 
this was um, a program that I started in my neighboring town. Um, I lived in northern New Jersey, and um, I just felt that there was a need to bring awareness on a community level, uh, both to lend support to eliminate the stigma that you spoke about uh, for individuals that have been uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease or a related form of dementia, to lend support to caregivers who are very stressed for the most part, isolated, and I felt needed to get more information about the available services and to raise the awareness of community members. Um, I thought that uh, bringing it on a community, a town level, was really, really important. And uh, it, it, it was successful beyond my wildest dreams. Oh, wonderful! Now, what's the what's the name of the program that you kicked off, and when when exactly was, did you do it? It was called Creskill, which is the name of the town. Alzheimer's Awareness Week, and we just had it in November, um, November seventeenth through the twenty second. So it was a week long event, and um, it occurred in various venues throughout the town, at the senior center, at the public library at the Physical Rehab Center. Uh, we have um, assisted living. We have a sunrise. We have a Care One, which is skilled nursing and and uh, respite and uh, nursing care. Uh, so we had it at various venues throughout that town. Okay. Um, how... Um when you decided to pull this together, um, uh, who did you even begin to approach? Because there might be other people listening that are interested in, in wanting to do something. You know, dementia, becoming dementia-friendly and dementia-aware is huge over in the U.K., and it really is getting a very slow start here in the U.S. But, you know, it's really starting to bubble, and uh, at least people are getting more familiar with the terms uh, of, of what it even means. So, so um, how, did you, how did you get started? How did you formulate all of this? Well, you know, I literally marched myself into the mayor's office. Um, I, I had made a call. No, I had made a call to the mayor's office, and they put me through to the administrator. And I asked if I could meet to discuss a project that I'm considering on Alzheimer's um, and for the reasons I just mentioned. And surprisingly, he said, why don't you come in tomorrow? Um, and, I, and I marched myself in, and I started to talk to him about the kind of programs that I wanted to involve in the community and the reason why. And the man literally stopped me from speaking, put sort of his hand up and said, I understand. He said, my wife died of Alzheimer's disease over 10 years ago and I was completely on my own. Nobody really understood what I was going through and there were no services for me. So this is going to happen. And he said, we're even going to proclaim this Alzheimer's Awareness Week in Cresco. And that's how it started. Wow. I asked that's him, fantastic. I asked him, who is the next person you think I should speak with? How how do you think I should go? Just so that I would 
connect with him and and his resources. And and he suggested the next person I go to, library. He said the libraries often have presentations. Why don't you go speak to the head librarian? So I went to the head librarian the next couple of days with the same introduction. And the head librarian stopped me again in my conversation and said, I'd welcome this. I understand. My mother has Alzheimer's disease. And it went Uh on and on like that. You know, one of the things that, you know, I get on my little platform and I just kind of jump up and down, and so I love what you're saying, but it really is as simple as just starting a conversation. Um, This disease has touched so many, but there's not an outlet you know, for people to speak about it or to, to get involved at at a local level where people feel that, that they can individually contribute um, and make a difference. And I just, you know, I love the passion in your voice and the ter- determination and the tenacity that you're just, you know, plugging ahead with this because look at, look at the results you're getting um, by just approaching, you know, just talking to people and, you know, one of the things that, that I've found here in Minnesota, um, and and I've really found it throughout the country, is, you know, there's two different kind of platforms going on out there right now in terms of becoming dementia-friendly and being aware. And one is a very academic and organizational structure, and the other is really grassroots, just let's let's have a conversation and let's get it done. And the difference that I see in terms of the impact of both of those groups is that the grassroots has so much passion that they are, in my eyes anyways, pushing things through so much faster and touching people on a deeper level. Um, Are you seeing that at all, Vivian? Oh, absolutely. And it's so... It's so prevalent. Um, I was honestly very taken back by this. Uh, You know, in my private practice, and when I am running my caregiver support groups, people come to me, and so I'm hearing their stories and I'm hearing their concerns and I'm giving them my support and guidance. This was the first time I reached out to the community and i was i was truly overwhelmed by how many people are impacted by this disease um and it's it's so prevalent and people really do want support uh they they truly do so that grassroots it, it it's igniting um yeah you know it, i've heard it referred to as the silver tsunami and mm-hmm. I'm telling you, that is what I experienced when I sort of walk from merchant to merchant. Um, the, the final one was that we had asked um, uh, uh, one of the local merchants if they would give um, food for one of the events, coffee and refreshments. And, um, you know, first her response was a little bit taken back, like, who are you and what organization? I said, no, no, I'm not part of an organization. I, I'm a person, just one person. Well, who are your sponsors? No, I, I don't have sponsors. You know, I was like, not that she thought I was shady, but it was sort of a concept she didn't understand. 
So, you know, when we talked more and she began to understand that this was legitimate and who was involved and that maybe from a business perspective it might be a good idea for her to have a little note saying that she made the donated the refreshments. I asked her, I don't know if you know of anybody who's impacted by Alzheimer's or somebody in your family. And she said to me, my mother has Alzheimer's. I take care of my mother. And had I not asked her that question, I don't think she would not would she and I would have had that conversation. Yep. Yep. It's it's just it's fascinating when you get out there and talk to the people. You know, when I go out and speak, a lot of times I will ask a room, and and there can be hundreds of people in the room, and I'll ask everyone to stand up if they're able. And then I ask about six questions. Do you know or did you know, you know, someone who had dementia? It might be a mother, you know, a parent, a sibling, an aunt or uncle. And by the time I'm done with my questions, you know, I can have a room of a, of a thousand people, and there might be two still standing. And people are shocked. They are absolutely shocked how prevalent mm-hmm. this is and how yes. little conversation there is. And that alone just gets the chatter going. And yes. so I just, I and I think it's so important because. So much of the time, we are so busy trying to make people different that we forget how similar we all are. Mm-hmm. And, and yes. it's, the, it's the similarities that give us the calmness, that give us that, that oh, you know, I'm not alone in this. And it helps us not feel so sorry for ourselves sometimes, you know. It mm-hmm. helps us realize that there is support um you know if we look for it and reach out and that and and it also teaches us that it's our responsibility to help share resources and knowledge um you know once you've been through this i i've never met anyone who hasn't been you know significantly impacted by this disease that doesn't want to see things change and they're willing to help but you know somebody needs to orchestrate it and you know that's what i love about what you did to do a a full week's awareness this isn't just a one time seminar this is a you know uh, you know a major event so i'd like like you to tell us a little bit more what the heck did you do for a week you know who was involved oh. what what did it well, what did it look like um this, you know, I took into, first of all, there are two aspects. I like to work with what the community resources are, who are the providers, and sort of lent its particular program to Creskill. Uh, I'm doing another event because people heard about it, and they said, we'd like to do it in our town. That town has other aspects to it. So this is not written in stone. This is what was available um, in Creskill and what their interests were and also who the providers were that lived or worked in the Creskill area. So um, the first program we had was a senior identification program. Now, this is a program that is in, fa- in fact comes from the Freemasons who offer a child protection program. It's an identification program. And I, I met them at a health fair and I said, you know, issues of seniors wandering is huge. Um, so we certainly could benefit from an identification program, which means that the senior came in 
and had a photograph taken and a dental swab and fingerprinting and um, a, a video. And that information, that kit, then was given back to the caregiver. So in case, uh, God forbid, there was a wandering, they could take that kit and go directly to the police. Um, it was a terrific program. Um, we had a program on a Sunday which I wanted to reach out specifically to adults caring for their parents, recognizing that that sandwich generation is working um, so that that program would have to be on a Sunday. And I wanted to have a program where they would just connect with one another, not necessarily have a presentation. So they literally, it was at a wonderful um, gourmet uh, um, uh, 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 we had a cooking class there and the adults cooked together, and um, it was sponsored by one of um, a place called Memory Care Living that sponsored the event, but they really, and I said to them, there is no presentation, just have fun, but I'm asking you, if you, after your cooking, if you could chat with somebody, exchange an email address, a telephone number, so that you have somebody who's going through what you are, that you could just send an email, pick up the phone, maybe meet later for a cup of coffee. Well, mm-hmm. I I cannot tell you what that event was like. It was a rainy day. They went way beyond the time that we were expected to be there. And then when we said, you know, it's sort of time to leave, they were outside still chatting under their umbrellas. That's how much they needed to connect with one another. Um, and I, I really believe had I not created this opportunity, those connections might not have been made. Oh, I, I totally believe that. Totally believe that. Um, it's it's incredible. You know, and you can't describe when you see those connections being made. I mean, it really, it, it for me, it takes my breath away. It, it, it really took my breath away. And that was the first day. I could have stopped there, you know, in terms of what my <laughs> my dream and my goal was. It was satisfied by the first day, and then it went there, uh, beyond there. We had a, a gerontologist the next day who was at the senior center who talked about successful aging, about what caregivers need to do to stay healthy for themselves, um, and we got an enormous response to that. Um, uh, safety in the home and medications and how to remain social and how to be active because, you know, with caregivers, as we know, we end up being last on the list. And um, it's very, very important um, to remain healthy and find ways to reach out and ask for help from friends and and family members. And um, the gerontologist uh, did a terrific, terrific presentation and um, we also had a presentation on Alzheimer's from a medical perspective in terms of um, what's the latest research and what are the medications and um, what are the stages. We had a, a presentation on, on fall prevention. Um, and beyond fall prevention, what was a big takeaway for me was how important it is, not just adapting our environment but really being prepared 
in caring for somebody with Alzheimer's to be able to make the required adaptations. Um, nothing is written in stone. How we have to be flexible and how we have to be adaptive to stay the course. Um, we had a program on dementia and driving, on what are the warning signs and how to manage Alzheimer's, um, caring for the caregiver. Um, we had a program, the Alzheimer's Association was involved in, in conversations about dementia. We had a neurologist um, who came and hers was questions you always wanted to ask a neurologist but were afraid to ask. Um, and we had memory screening during the week. Our library had uh, tables with resources for caregivers, the service providers, all the resources because I'm finding also, especially in my, again, my private practice, this is not where we were 10 years ago. There are home health aides that now have dementia care training. There are so many services that are available out there uh, for individuals with Alzheimer's and support for caregivers. Um, part of the week was really bridging um, what caregivers need and what services there are now that are available. This is not something that caregivers need to do alone anymore. Um, that's history as far as I'm concerned. So um, it was a great week. It was a great oh, week. I, I, I bet. Are, is, is this city looking at doing this again, do you know, or is this going to become Absolutely. an annual? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> They, well, they approached right away that? and said, uh, what can we do next year? So um, there's already a discussion about what to do next year. Oh, wonderful. That's that's fantastic. Well, it's nice to, to see the excitement, um, the, the implementation, and then the enthusiasm to, to carry that over, you know, with the, with the connections. Can you tell people, you know, one of the things I didn't really ask you to go into was, you know, what made you get so involved? You, you must have some personal story back there that, um, you know, that, that's driving this passion. Involved in dementia care? Mm-hmm. When I headed my adult daycare program, that's when I first entered into the world of dementia care. And it was, I, in fact, I was hired not to necessarily run programs, but to oversee and expand programs. I had a strong management background in healthcare. I did fundraising. So they really asked me to come on and market the program and expand the program. But I had a terrific staff. I was so impressed with their way to connect in such a positive life-affirming way to individuals with Alzheimer's, I just fell in love from the beginning. Um, I just fell in love with the work, and um, I, I saw the need um, for caring for caregivers, um, how they were feeling so stressed out and overwhelmed that one piece was caring for their family member through adult daycare services 
But there was another important piece, which is caring for the caregiver, and that's where I started to get involved. And uh, secondly, in our program, our program did allow home health aides, and they were wonderful, very compassionate people, but they were not trained in dementia care. And uh, I saw that they just didn't understand it, and they were not providing effective, meaningful care, and they themselves um, were were suffering, the, the paid caregivers, and um, I felt there was a need to offer training to them, and that's how mm-hmm. I started. Um, okay. And then I felt there was a need to bring it to a community level. Yep. Well, and I think, you know, so many of us have been touched personally by the disease, but this just shows, um, you know, you don't have to have it in your own family in order to be ignited. I mean, you know, when you open your eyes and you look, I mean, you can you can see the challenges out there. And it's it's so exciting that you want to make a difference and you are making a huge, huge difference. Um in your community, and so I, I personally just want to thank you for that because well, um, I, I have to add, Lori, that you know you asked how it started, but mm-hmm. um, which I, it was twenty years ago, but five years ago, my mother showed signs. She's ninety-two of dementia, and now um, my mother is being cared for in her home, but my mother has dementia, so. I now have experience it and experience it personally. Um, okay. And, and um, it, it does lend me. Um, it's really, really hard. Um, and what I've learned now, which I share with my, my, my clients, is I have two mothers. I have the mother that raised me and the mother I have now. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just something that I have come to experience from having a family member um, that was a new perspective um, as a result of what I am going through um, with my own mother. It It is amazing how it changes, you know, the look and the feel of it. Um, you know, when when you're in the trenches, I, um, I've probably shared this a, a couple of times, but, you know, we always get different audiences, so I'm going to mention it again. But I was speaking to a, a large group one uh, one year, and a man in the front just started sobbing, just hysterically sobbing. And um, somebody at his table came, uh, you know, ran out of the room and then came back. I mean, he, he just couldn't even really move um, because he was just so touched by the presentation that I was having. Um, and um, the person runs back into the room and, and puts before him a big roll of toilet paper because he's just literally sobbing. And this is like a 40-year-old man. And so after the presentation, you know, I, I talked to him, and um, he he said, oh, I'm so sorry. He says, I just apologize. He says, you know, I have been in this business he says, I have been an administrator for 21 years, and I have always given families all kinds of advice. And he said, but now my dad has it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so different. And, mm-hmm. he, you know, he just he told me he just appreciated my presentation because, you know, I'm all what I call emotional-based training, so I get people to feel, 
you know, we laugh and we cry and because all those emotions they're all bundled up in it. But he he just said, I I really didn't have a clue what this was like until mm-hmm. I went through it and he said he said, Some of the stuff I told people, he says, I'm ashamed I said that to people. They must have just thought I was crazy. He said, because when you're in this, it's just different. It's just different. And we have to, when we're supporting people, we have to not just look at the medical facts, but we have to look at the emotional impact and, you know, the resources and where everybody is at in their own lives. And he, he just says, I have been changed forever with this disease and he said I, I will I, I he says I will and I have and I do talk differently to my families now but we have to be more compassionate this is mm-hmm. a black and white change gears type thing oh. you know that and um and so I had to throw that in there because I I do think that it is very important we can be really book savvy um but you know you have to be you have to have the compassion to match this, to to move this, um, to really make the difference. And I think that's part of, you know, what I was talking about earlier between the the kind of different styles that are out there between the grassroots and and the very more academic and medical models that, you know, just because you have a degree, just because you have a position does not make you compassionate and does not make you necessarily understand. And I'm not saying that people don't and that there aren't those that, that can have both, but there's definitely, it can be a difference. Um, and And it's hard to push things forward and make a connection with people on the level that needs to be made, I think, to really make this whole awareness and education blossom, you know, if you're missing that compassionate piece, it's just not going to move. Not not right. at the pace it needs to move. You know, it's just so, so important. Um, can we talk a little bit more about, um, and, and I know you've touched on it, but I'd like to dive in a little deeper to the benefits of of those who were involved. So from those who helped you pull this together to businesses and sponsors to the people that participated, what what were the benefits that you um, well, feel that each got? I I I do think first of all I the feedback I got from caregivers was that um the the topics they felt were extremely relevant to what they needed and also they appreciated the support that they got um mm-hmm. the connections that were being made and being with other caregivers right in their community, in the public of the community, made a difference. That's different than when you are going to, let's say, a caregiver support group. Um, you're right in the, you know, you're in that public library. You know, you are right in, in, in the senior center talking about Alzheimer's. And mm-hmm. do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it becomes a very public forum. And 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 that's what I want. I wanted it right out there, you know, right in that community. And that's what people were talking about that that they appreciated. Um, the the merchants. It was really, as you said, starting to have that conversation 
Um, I, I, I had a personal situation um, in my town. I had gone to my local bank, and clearly I, I sensed that the person going into the bank in front of the teller had some issues with memory. And the bank teller repeated herself three times to the person, as if maybe they'd get it after the third time. And then when the person didn't get it, started to raise her voice, as maybe it's a hearing problem. And my buzzer went off, and I realized she doesn't have enough understanding. So she's yep. not relating to the person in a way that they can take in the information. So in the process, there was a lot of conversations that I was having with merchants so that they could be more user-friendly when somebody comes into their establishment. Um, so there was a lot of conversation. Um, this event, is, as you mentioned, and I said was in November, but we started it in May. Um, there was mm-hmm. a lot of discussion going on in May. Um, even, I, I have to say... I left this part out. Um, I went to our public school, and during the week, the high school was also having an event with their biology students where the students were learning about Alzheimer's and the effect that it has on an individual. So there was a lot of awareness that was being generated in different areas. We had an intergenerational aspect where the Girl Scouts were involved, um, and other students through a religious organization were involved, handing out flyers for market to let people know about the event. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I really was passionate about getting younger people involved um, in this event. I mentioned that we had a for-profit assisted living right in the community. And I asked them, have you ever gone into our library? And they hadn't been um, to the library. And through our commitment, this organization donated 12 books to the public library about Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's care. And a librarian had done her research about the book she wanted, gave the list to the the assisted living, and they purchased the books. Um, So it was... Real, as you say, real grassroots, um, real needs right in that community. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm answering your question. Did I answer it? No, no. I I think that it's it's very powerful. I think you're right when it's in the community versus you know, and, and it's um, pertinent to how do I live with the disease. You know, what are the discussions we need to have? How do we protect our assets? How do we talk about driving? How do we, you know, deal with behaviors? I mean, those are those are everyday things that people are just struggling with versus, you know, this is the disease and here's what a PET scan looks like. And you can have, again, all of the medical model and terminology and the research, which is great. But when a person walks away from that, they don't have tools and they don't have resources to live with the disease. They've gotten educated, but there's right. a big difference. There's big difference between the two. Absolutely. Um, another program that we had was our 
first responders. Is that a term that you all have? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like our, 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 and the first responders, the head of the first responders, when he heard that we were doing the program, approached me and said, we could use training. We are going into the homes, and we don't feel that we are as well-equipped as we can to really provide the service in an effective way for the individual with Alzheimer's and to their caregiver. When we're called in, there's a crisis. We understand that, but the elements of somebody who has dementia, what they bring to the crisis and the concerns for the caregiver is what we would like to have more understanding so we could better serve when we're going into the home. So a lot of people are wanting information and and, and, and in not just, as you say, in the books, but really what when I am involved in managing and, and, and interacting, I want to be better at it. Mm-hmm. People to stay in the community with, with a, a quality of life and not be isolated um, mm-hmm. and, and not be misunderstood. Um, yep. Very, very true. Very, very true. And it's... Uh, it's a piece that's um that's difficult to balance but the the um first responders or EMTs you know uh, the police the fire you know all of them you know the guys driving the ambulance um you know it's critical because they are the ones that get called um i had uh, a friend of mine who ended up um calling the police one time because uh, her father was really having a very difficult difficult time and he needed he needed to be changed. I mean, he he had an adult diaper on and they couldn't change him and he was getting physical and they ended up calling the police and the and she said I I I wanted to melt. They handled this so beautifully and they got my dad calmed down and we sat down at the table and she says he was just extraordinary but she also knew that that wasn't you know wasn't the norm this person happened to have somebody who got aggressive with dementia in their own family and so just knew from personal experience how to apply that but he had said you know we really need more training in this um, because not everybody has that and um she said it just it, it made a difference she's like he he calmed him down instantly just instantly mm-hmm. and um you know it's just a, it's a beautiful beautiful thing i i hope i mean you know my dream is um to really see the us become dementia friendly and and take this on like like the uk and i'm i'm thrilled to death to be one of the um uh, Purple Angel ambassadors for the new um, global symbol for dementia and trying to get people to understand the importance of, you know, we need a symbol just like the breast cancer, you know, ribbon. Yes. Um, this this needs to be known. It needs to be displayed proudly. 
Um, we need to have these conversations. You know, nobody should should feel um, outed because they're ill or taking care of someone who is. Um, we need to train businesses, like you said, um, if it's a bank, if it's a restaurant, if it's a park system. Um, there's so many ways that um, we could do a better job. And a lot of what we would do with dementia could easily be applicable to many, many others as well in terms of, of how we pose our questions, how we give directions, um, you know, slowing down and actually having a relationship with our customers. You know, who'd have, who'd have thought? I mean, we lost that so long ago. Um, and that was so important to all of us, you know, when we used to be able to walk in the bank and, and know our personal banker. And now you've got tellers telling you, hey, do you want to lower your interest rate on your mortgage? And you're like, who the heck are you and why are you looking at my mortgage? <laughs> I'm here to make a deposit. You know, I mean, it's... Exactly. And if who are you talking about my finances um, in a way that you're going to help me, I don't even know who you are. Um, so Vivian, we're having a really hard time he hearing you. I don't know um, if you're if you've moved the phone. So if you can repeat yourself, because it was it was like you were in the bottom of a can. <laughs> oh, can you hear me now? Much better, much much better. Yeah. Okay. What I was saying is. You know, it is a matter of saying, who are you talking about my finances? I don't even know you. So you have to appreciate the the need to slow down and 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 develop a, a, a relationship because that individual is not going to be on board. Um, you're talking too fast. You're being too intrusive. Um, and and it's not necessarily something that they are interested in. So I I agree with you 100% um, that there there is such a need to have that understanding. Um, and, and we're here. <laughs> we yep. are here in droves with dementia, with the number of caregivers. We are we are so present in our community that the community needs to wake up and pay attention. Um, because we're not going away. Uh, exactly, exactly. Now, um, you know, with this event, um, I know that it can be duplicated in one of your, you know, in our conversations, you were talking about how every community is going to do this a little bit differently. And and I love that you're not about being cookie cutter, you know, saying, okay, I've developed the perfect thing, you know, and we're just going to plaster it. We're going to do this the same exact way, um every place because to me that's one of the biggest mistakes that, that's happening is everybody is trying to develop this proprietary thing and they want to be it and and with dementia there is not one way and you really have to know your audience and you have to know your community and you have to find those people with passion to make it work otherwise you know it's it's going to get really rote, and your message is going to be lost. Yeah, I, I agree. But the way I do it, Lori, is I ask questions. Mm -hmm. I don't come in. I mean, I come in with the concept, but then I ask questions. Even with the event that I had in Cresco, I said, this is what I want to accomplish, how you do it. 
in your in your presentation or your facility is your choice. We just need to stay that it supports the concept, and that's how it evolved. Um, I have been approached by another town, and that's how I start the conversation. I ask the three people in the room, from your experience, what have you experienced are the challenges? I wanted to hear from them what the challenges are, and the program then comes from that. It doesn't come from me going in and saying what the program is. And this next town has a very... Um, strong Chamber of Commerce. And so they felt it was really important to get the merchants on board. They're going to not have a week. They're going to have an Alzheimer's Awareness Day um, mm-hmm. where they're going to have workshops in the morning and a speaker, and, and um, that's, that's our plan, and, and work breakouts in the afternoon also. But they wanted to have a meeting with the merchants from the town before that day to start to educate them ahead of time because they really want the merchants to be savvy about and and develop an understanding so that they can really embrace and and, and provide a, a meaningful community for those who are affected and for those who are caring for somebody with Alzheimer's or related form of dementia. So, it's not about, as you say, presenting, but asking the questions and having the yeah. conversation. And 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 it's it's so much easier than people think uh, to mm-hmm. accomplish this. I'm not talking about you know coordinating the event. Um, that yep. was extremely time consuming to do it <laughs> well. But the yep. the concept and the ideas will flow very quickly. Well, and I and, and I think. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And you know whether in, in you know in my case, I went to the mayor's office. Um, but you know, people might want to reach out to connect with if they have a, a Rotary or um, a Department of Senior Services, um, or connect with the Alzheimer's Association, or or, or co- collaborate with service providers, um, or attend one of their health fairs. I mean. It, it, it really it can ignite so quickly um, if people are interested in in doing this, and I'm certainly happy to make myself available um, to support people who might be interested in doing this. Um, uh, you know, I uh, they can have my uh, connect with my telephone number or connect me through email. Um, uh, if people are interested, I, I'm certainly happy to to um, to help them. Well, and I I think that's wonderful. And um, I I wanted to um, ask you another question before we get into contact information. We only have about six minutes left here. I can't believe how fast time goes goes here. But um, one of the things that I think is really important, too, when you're working on this is knowing who's a good match for your vision. Um, And sometimes I think people get so excited with people saying, yes, I want to be involved that they don't always assess is this going to be a good match and to me that's a that that's a critical mistake um when you end up having somebody on the team that's not a good fit or is trying to all of a sudden shift the vision um and not that you don't want to be collaborative but when you you know when a person goes out on a mission like you have and you've got a vision that's so clear 
um, I think it's important that you know who you align with and who you don't and be able to let go. Did you ever run into, um, you know, somebody who might have wanted to work with you and you just, mm, this isn't a really good fit? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How did you handle that? Um, uh, how did I handle this is a good question. Um, there were some aspects um, that came up um, that that were discussed um, with a commitment, and and there wasn't to follow through, and um, which was very disappointing to me. Um, uh, and and I I just really sort of had to let go. And, mm-hmm. and 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 not give it too much credit and feel that you know it's only a piece um it's not the whole um so i could put it in a per- perspective and it didn't bog me down um so that was that was a challenge that came up from this event um i, I do a, a lot of work vetting people ahead of time um um and I have, as I work with my clients, uh, Lori, I always have plan A and plan B. I, I, I mm-hmm. never just have one plan. Um, I have plan <laughs> A, plan B, and maybe sometimes plan C, need B, uh, mm-hmm. because you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Life isn't like that, as we know, especially in dementia. Anybody who's worked in it, you, you know, you you can't just have a, one plan. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that that was another aspect. But, but I do a lot of vetting of uh, people. Uh, you know, some some people, um, you know, are, are 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 say one thing and do something else. Um, I have to do a lot of vetting. I, I need to speak to a lot of people. Have you heard that person speak? Um, they, they might be great in the office, but not a great presenter. Are they engaging? Um, you know, just being clear about what I needed for this to be successful and if people were going to follow up or not, and, and then tolerating the disappointments. Yep, which is which is very, very true. But having, um, you know, having a good um, pulse on what is going and, and, on. And, and, and nobody, really I, I, the other thing is I said from the beginning that nobody, this is not a venue to be self-promoting, mm-hmm. and 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 um, and it cannot be. You, this is not a venue to sell yourself or sell your product. Um, it won't be tolerated. Um, and and I was very very clear about that. Um, this is to really serve caregivers um, mm-hmm. and, and not to to sell yourself. Um, yep. And uh, that that was a mantra, Lori. I said over and over again. Um, this is, you know, not that kind of event. Yeah. Well, and people and, think, and, and people did. Um, they were respectful of that. I have to say. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's important because I mean, if you are compelling with giving people information, they will want to know more about you. And you won't have to sell yourself, you know. It just it just happens naturally, um, you know. And and it really is. I think with all of these events, uh, you know, it's it's the greater good aspect. You know, it's. Um, I know with my business, Alzheimer's Speaks, 
you know, this is so much bigger than me. You know, I, I'm just a facilitator in all of this um, is, is how I view it, you know, and it's about raising everyone's voice and getting ideas and opinions out there so that people can create, you know, their own um, formats that are going to work in their, in their personal world and in their community. Um, but we have to be able to, to feed the creativity by letting people know that they're not alone. And, yes. you know, that there is hope. Well, I just think you are doing amazing, amazing work. And um, I, I just love what you're doing. I don't know, um, with your businesses, are you using kind of the dementia wear and the, the um, you know, purple angel symbol at all? Because that's something that could really tie in nicely. And I'd I love haven't, to talk I haven't yet, but it's something I certainly want to look into. Okay, uh, because well, you know they could be forced with being part of that community too mm-hmm. um, will make a difference. Yeah, I would I would love to have a conversation offline with you regarding that, um, and and because um, I just think that that's a perfect fit, and it's another way for businesses to take what you're doing and educate their their staff and educate the public, you know, just by putting a sticker in their door. Um, You know, it's something that will stay with them long after the event. Um, Plus, uh, you know, I'd love for them all to, you know, if they want to become dementia-friendly, if they decide to become part of that, they're more than welcome to be part of the Alzheimer's Speaks um, resource website where where you can list a community, you can list a business, and then businesses can also list their services um, on their as well so not just about being dementia friendly but you know what kind of service are you are you a you know if it's a gas station or a financial plan or doesn't or a bank or you know a medical um, facility it doesn't make any difference um, but I, people are going to want to know where these places are and so um, you know we've established something fairly simple for people to work with um, and be able to utilize so I'd, I'd love to to talk with anybody um, and anyone listening on our show um, regarding this as well. So, so how do people reach you, um, Vivian? What's the what's the best numbers and, and best URLs? And okay, well, um, there are three ways. Um, they can email me. Um, my email address. I'll spell it out. It's my first name, Vivian V I V I A N dot. K O R N E R at Gmail dot com. I can be reached at two oh one nine six zero four two seven seven. And on my website, um, there's also a contact and my website is www.vivian green like the color corner K O R N E R dot com. Uh, Divian Green Corner is one word. So those are the three ways. Wonderful. Well, again, keep up the great work, and let's definitely let's definitely connect about the the Purple Angel and the dementia sure. aware, because um, I think that that would be a wonderful thing to be able to add to what you what you are already doing. So, you have a just a blessed holiday season, and thank you so much for for sharing your vision uh, with our audience. And and please, so those that are listening, you know, Vivian also speaks and trains as well as helping um, organize these events. So please reach out to her. She's a wealth of information. So thank you so much. 
Thank you, Lori. Thank you very much. Bye now. Have a happy holiday to you and all your listeners. A, a healthy oh. and a ha- happy holiday. Okay, and and you do well on that storm that's hanging out there too. So be careful. It's, right now it's just pretty. It's it's not stormy. It's just beautiful. Um, so. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Well, great. You have a wonderful day. Thanks again, Vivian. Bye-bye. I'm going to go ahead and do our mid-program highlights um, and just update you on on some of the information that Alzheimer's Speaks uh, has pulled together for you. Our last radio show was on preparing for happy holidays, and um, we had Harry Urban and Rick Phelps with us. And they are two men living with dementia, and they gave us some great tips. Our next show coming up will be on the 17th, and we're going to be talking about protecting your assets and also how to stay in your home, the second act of life. And so we're going to really be talking about um, possible changes that you can do so that you can stay there as long as possible. Um, we, on the 24th, um, are going to have expert Tipa Snow with us, and I'm really, really excited about that. We are also going to have uh, Christine Luca with us, and she wrote a book, What Else Can I Do But Laugh? Um, and then Dementia Chats, we had one on November 26th where we discussed how to design um, kind of a happy holidays for a person with dementia and those around them. And our next one is going to be today, and we're going to be a little free-flowing today. I really want to get audience participation in. I'm sure we'll talk still a little bit about the holidays, but there's just so much going on. And then for blogs, we have quite a few here that I'm going to mention. Um, we had one on dementia-friendly businesses and communities, which actually was an interview by um, Caregivers Unite uh, with Dr. Gordon Atherley, and that's a, another radio show. There is a very powerful video, I think worth watching, that a son did about his journey with dementia with his mom. There's an article on the caregiver control panel, which I think you'll find interesting. Uh, There's also the um, lifestyle of the super brain from the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention uh, Foundation, which is now available. We've got a link to that. Our intern uh, did an article called They Have Dementia, What Can They Do? Uh, There's also a post. um, I I am a blogger for uh, Verizon and with some some tools that might be of interest to caregivers. And let's see, what else do we have on here? Um, Oh, Ramsey Barari and I had a discussion. This was a a video um, regarding Alzheimer's disease and caregiving. Um, Dishing Up Nutrition, there's a link to their radio show. They were talking about um, health and coconut oil. And they had an author uh, who wrote a book about her husband and coconut oil. So you might find that interesting. And then there was a wonderful story, um, an insider's look at true love with uh, Charlie and Elizabeth that is um, Deborah Schaus wrote. And it it really is a cool thing about a person with dementia who um, is single and finds love. And it's really quite touching. And the last I want to mention is there is a... um, 
a play coming up here in Minnesota called My Mother Has Four Noses. And there's an article uh, titled Dementia is Being Brought Out of the Closet and Onto the Stage. And it's going to be here in Minnesota December 16th and 17th at the Guthrie Theater. If you're in town, we'd love to see you there. I will be there both days. On the 17th, we're actually going to be doing a talk back. And it's a musical uh, comedy, but bring your Kleenex because it is very, very touching as well. Um, Again, I'm just going to highlight really quickly the Alzheimer's Disease International. You know, if you're looking uh, for uh, a connection, they are a great resource. The Lewy Body Association, as well as the Frontal Temporal Lobe and the Aphasia Association. Um, The Tau uh, Clinical Trial, go to Alzheimer's Studies. And I have to put in a plug for my web designer, too. I just absolutely um, adore Patrick and, and all of them there. They have just just been a blessing to me with custom A design. If you're looking for somebody, uh, check them out. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce our next guest, who is um, just as fabulous as our first guest. And I know this, too, is going to be a very interesting conversation. Throughout her life, Loretta Woodward Venny, who is the author of Being My Mom's Mom, has chronicled her family's events through journals, photos, and videos, seeking to capture every single moment. After learning that her mother, uh, Doris, was the first female in their family to suffer from dementia, she began documenting the details of doctor's visits and recording people and places and things as a substitute to lost memory. Loretta is a motivational teacher and trainer who has delivered speeches and presentations and conducted workshops throughout the U.S. and Europe and offers just a wealth of encouragement through her book. Welcome, Loretta. Hi, thank you very much. Well, I am I'm really excited to be here. I was uh, I I love your book. I you know the the cover of it, the um feel of it. Um it's just, you know, it it's just a great it's a great journey um that you've that you've documented. So I'm really anxious for you to talk about a why did you decide to write the book? Okay. Uh, thanks, Lori. I'm, I uh, love your website and, and this uh, talk radio show because, as you pointed out in uh, the first call of Vivian as well, I think the more we get the word out, uh, the better it is for everyone because we're all shocked and surprised by the uh, intrusion of the disease into our lives. So um, the primary reason I wrote the book, to be really honest, is just therapy for myself. And um, I was so shocked by the diagnosis itself that um, I knew I wasn't alone in this, but I felt alone at the moment. So I said, well, let me just write everything down, and I'm sure that will be helpful to me and hopefully helpful to others. Okay, which which makes sense. There's, there's so many people who go on this journey that are, um, you know, just – realize the wealth of information that they have and they want to make a difference to the next guy which i right. think is is extremely extremely important and i i think um you know your book definitely does that um what roles um you know in the book 
you you go through a lot of different things. But what sure. roles does the forgiveness play? Do you feel um, in being the best caregiver that that you can be? I think forgiveness really is significant. I say that um, as soon as the diagnosis you know, comes about, I think you know, sort of the whole life starts over right there from that point. Everything that has happened in the past really goes right out the window. And and I say that because if you don't, you know, forget about things or you're waiting for some apology that, of course, now isn't ever going to come, and you you know, withhold you know, whatever care you should be given because of things that happened to you 15, 20 years ago, it's going to be really bad for your loved one who's the patient. And, you know, they didn't ask to get the disease. They're sorry themselves. Maybe they can't have conversations with you that are important to family dynamics. And so that was very helpful for me saying, okay, this is day one, and, you know, I, I love my mother and I'm going to do whatever it is that I need to do in spite of the fact that there's still questions I'd love to have answered about, you know, our you know, family dynamics. But, you know, it's just so unfair to uh, hold something against a person or punish them in some way for something that they can no longer control or contribute to. Very, very true. And it's, you know, forgiveness is not an easy thing for us. <laughs> to do sometimes. That is very Um, true. Especially in families because some of this Mm -hmm. stuff you know, it's been around a long, long time and it's the way it's always been. Um, Very true. For me, I I think it was um, you know, difficult in a way because when she was first diagnosed in 2006, so this is almost almost going into year eight for us, she still very much could have had a um, you know very coherent conversation about some of the family dynamics. It was just when another relative was dying and shared the family secret three years later, by then my mother couldn't have a conversation really about anything. So uh, some friends had suggested, well, just try to force her to talk about it. Well, you know, that's who does that help? Really nobody. And at that point, um, people say, oh, you weren't mad at all? Yes. I was very upset about it, but I was mad for all of 20 minutes. And then you move on. And I, yeah. I felt like I didn't have any choice but to um, do that. Yep. Well, and there are so many families that hold on for so <laughs> long sometimes to uh, the different things. And, I mean, I, I've had families tell me, you know, um, I didn't really like my mom or dad. Um, they right. weren't very mm-hmm. nice to me. This was a very mm-hmm. abusive situation. You know, how am I supposed to be loving to, you know, this person who I grew up thinking was a monster and now it's right. my responsibility. And there's there can be some real struggles out there um, for for some families to go through. Others are really surprised going, oh, my gosh, this isn't the person I knew, and right. sometimes a person can really change too. And they're like, "I'm I'm so thankful to be able to get to know this person. She's so sweet. She's so kind. Um, right. I didn't see that before. You know, yeah, I think that's so true. Absolutely. One of the things I wrote was, you know, I, I sort of love who my mother is every day because, you know, there are vastly different aspects to her personality, um, you know, now. I'm grateful that she's, 
you know, hasn't recessed staged or may have missed it or whatever, where, I mean, she's not mean or aggressive or anything. She's, you know, very calm at this point, which was not how she was earlier in life. So this is kind of a good point uh, for us, but, but she is very different. Um, you know, from day to day, and so I love her for who she is on that day, and I think that helps as well. You don't uh, hold on to what she may have said yesterday, or or said or did something that you you didn't like, and uh, you know, you try to treat every day as as a vastly different experience. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a great approach, and kind of goes mm-hmm. into uh, my next question was going to be: Do you have some strategies for? Increasing patience <laughs> when dealing with a loved one um, who has dementia because we lose our patience sometimes. Sometimes yeah, more than patience. we care to admit. <laughs> That's so true. I mean, patience, you know, the chapter is really called Patience Really Is a, uh, a Virtue. And uh, I had found this really great um, article that I use that uh, have really helped me realize, you know, what causes you to be impatient or in a hurry or all these kinds of things. And so um, I think I learned so much uh, about where the impatience comes from. And one of the the things I learned was about triggers and, you know, what is it that brings out the impatience uh, in you. And I think all of us have vastly different triggers and things that um, you know, set us off or that we really can't tolerate. And then once you understand what the triggers are, then you can, you know, better plan. And, and for me, it was about time. I hate being late for anything. And so once I sort of did that, I, I put procedures in place so that my mom would always be on time, you know, build in a lot of extra time for looking for this or dressing her again if she's taken all her clothes off before I <laughs> get her to the doctor and things like that. So I allowed time in that for changing clothes and, and, and these kinds of things. And once I really understood that, um, that was, I can't even say how helpful that was because there are things I think we can't fix every situation, but I think there are certainly circumstances where we can uh, control, you know, the things that trigger us. So that's probably one of the first ones. And then the second thing that I do a lot anyway, I said I save photos and, and all that in the introduction that you gave. And so I'm very good at visualizing uh, other things. So when there's a difficult situation in the car or in the home where we're trying to get you know mom to do something that she really doesn't want to do, I just simply visualize the situation being over. I mean, it isn't going to last forever, so I try to work through it. Um, as best I can without um, losing my patience in the process. Which is really, really um, smart. A couple (laughs) other things that you had in this uh, Mm -hmm. Patience is a Virtue, um, which which I thought from this article that you read (laughs) was building self-confidence. Yes. You know, putting on the positive glasses, changing your attitude, ding, 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 you know, because our attitude feeds their (laughs) attitude. And and like you said, visualizing, visualize what the heck you want um, Mm -hmm. to happen. And and these are skills, not just when we're dealing with somebody with dementia, but but throughout our life. And that's, I think, one of the beautiful things um, about Mm -hmm. this disease that's overlooked is so many of the lessons are applicable to all our life. And people who are just friends who bought the book, I think they say that too. It it helped them, even though their parents don't have dementia, a lot of the concepts 
they felt were very helpful, and most of them mentioned the patient's aspect as, as one of them. So that was, yep. that's been great. The positive yeah. piece of it, people are surprised that, you know, it's there and I list it because people think I'm a very positive person anyway. But I think when everybody's challenged when, you know, your loved one says, you know, the same thing, you know, 15, 20, 30 times in a row, and people around you, you know, that's the number one question I get asked when we're out in public. You know, do you know how many times your mother just asked you that? And how do you you know, stay so calm and just keep repeating the answer without raising your voice or changing your tone. And I think it's all about the positivity part of it, too. But that is absolutely the number one question I get about the patients. Yeah, and it's it's very frustrating. I have something that um, I mentioned called Your Memory Chip, which is a free tool on my website. Um, yes. But it worked for me. What I found for me to to really help me with my patients was I had interviewed oh just thousands of um, caregivers and I'd always ask them what do you have to focus on and they would rattle <laughs> off this list and it was mm-hmm. all tasks and all the tasks were about the person they were caring for so of course they were person centered but what <laughs> I realized when I started really listening deeply and truly was that every one of those tasks um, as they stated it. Um, had an emotion attached to it. And I could tell that the yes. emotion was typically Very negative be- because of the twang in their voice. Uh-huh. You know, it was things that they didn't want to do. And so what I found was that we can't we can't be person-centered when emotionally we're still making it about us. And so Very for true. me, I switched from, and I was a big task girl. I mean, I literally mm-hmm. walked around with, with a checklist on a clipboard <laughs> every day yep. of everything I had to get done because I, I was a busy lady, you know. I think and, we're and the I, same person, Lori. Yeah, and I felt really good making those big checks or crossing them off, you know, because it was like I, I accomplished something, you know. And wow. and um, so anyways, I switched from really focusing on my tasks that I needed to do, but I told myself to focus on three simple things. Was my mm-hmm. mom safe? Was she yeah. happy? And was mm-hmm. she pain-free? And when I focused right. on those three things and the task mm-hmm. was secondary, I did the task differently. Right, right, exactly. And I, and, I, and I would sit down and I would appreciate the little things. I'd have the conversations. Mm-hmm. I, would, I was calmer because I wasn't yeah. in this panic to get things done, and I was actually building my relationship. And I had a great relationship with my mom, but in this process, I was I was able, even though she was declining, I was able yeah. to build on it. And that, that's and, very true, I think. Yeah. yeah the being and, happy part is, I think, really significant because it's really about them being happy and not you. And I always tell people, you know, any presentation or anything I give, I said, you know, from the moment really of the diagnosis, it becomes all about them and not about you. And you have to learn to let a lot of things go. And I, I remember uh, talking in the book about taking my mom to see shows we had always seen, you know, all our lives, and then she didn't remember it or appreciate it or even understand it. And so I realized I was going for me and not 
for her. And, you know, to, it was no longer necessary to keep up that particular tradition or memory when she wasn't making her happy either. So, you know, to get rid of that frustration, you just do something else. And so once I learned that as well, and it plays right into the, the strategies that you use as well. Well, and, you know, that just um, makes so much sense, but it's something that we overlook so often because we get so right. used to our routines and our traditions. Well, this is the way mm-hmm. it's always been. Um, right. But but when you really look at it and go, um, who's really getting something out of this? She's not That's happy. Right. I'm I'm not happy. What are we keeping right. this tradition for? You know, it's not <laughs> exactly. It's not meeting the needs. And, you know, I just had, um, I've had several conversations on our last radio show as well as on Dementia Chats um, and some articles lately on happy holidays. And people get so stuck in traditions. And -hmm. and instead of having the big family get-togethers, have several small ones so that she can participate and so that it's not so overstimulating. And, um, Mm. you know, you can have lights, but don't have the blinking lights. You can have this, but, you know, change this. Um, And then everybody's happier. Everyone's more (laughs) relaxed. And and, and you're going to find more joy. Um, Mm -hmm. So sometimes as much as routines are critical to people Mm -hmm. living with dementia and dealing with it, there still has to be adjustments. We still have to use our noggin to say, exactly. you know, is it time to, to change? Because, mm-hmm. you know, none of us stay stagnant throughout our lives. So I don't know why right. we think a person with dementia should. <laughs> you know, I That's mean, very true. it really is um, kind of silly, <laughs> but we do it all the time, you know. And it takes a, um, it takes a minute to get a you know, have that sink in. I think that's a, we're all in denial. I think in, in the beginning. So yeah, great point, ex- though. Exactly. <laughs> um, I would like you to talk to about you know how does a family build a successful um, team? So medical and right. legal and mm-hmm. supportive. For someone, how how did you guys do that, and um, what are some tricks and tips? Okay, well, the the two primary words for me, for uh, anybody on uh, our team, is competence. Is the first one, and dignity is the second. And competence in that they know whatever it is that their uh, specialty is. You know, be it legal, whether I need to become her guardian. Or, you know, medical, is this the right medication for her? Is she going to be safe? Those kinds of things. And then support, you know, mostly for support. They're, you know, my very small family at at this point. But does, you know, all of those people taken together, do they, you know, know what it is that, you know, their specialty is? Are they good at it? Do they have the bedside manner that goes along with it? But I think the most important thing for me really is the dignity for my mom. She is still, you know, a very vibrant person. She's going to be 85 in February, but just, you know, no arthritis, no nothing. She stands straight up. She can look right at you. And I want everybody to treat her you know, like the person that she is. She can't answer all questions correctly, but she certainly is, you know, in the room and present with her. And I think for our team, I want people to embrace her, 
and to, you know, be welcoming to her in whatever the situation is because that keeps her anxiety level in in a place that I can absolutely uh, deal with and, you know, it keeps her happy, which which was uh, your word as well. So those are the two primary things, and I'm willing to look everywhere to get it, even if it takes me a long time. I I love your two rules, competency and dignity. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. what a what a beautiful thing when they come together because man, we have yes. all dealt with incompetent people and people who are yes. disrespectful. And mm-hmm. you know, you double ante that up and you you have a horror story for <laughs> sure, but but even right. if one of the two is missing, it really right. it complicates things not only for the person with dementia, but for those who are who who love them. And right. uh, it, it's just real, and it, that's not too much to ask for. Or it is not, and I'm willing to, you know, basically fire. fire a person too. Which um, uh, I was going to, you know, change doctors for this one doctor who I thought was just incredibly disrespectful and a lot of other things as well. And just as I was going to be in the process of changing doctors, uh, you know, he had a serious illness himself, and and. Um, left his practice and so that Mm -hmm. uh, really uh, necessitated me not having to to do that so um i was happy to uh, to be in a different place where i can get a new doctor sorry for his um, circumstances of course but really happy that i was not going to have to uh, deal with him and his brusqueness and other things that i felt was uh, very um, uncomfortable for my mother and so Mm -hmm. um i have to you have to just be strong enough to make a change if that person isn't whatever the requirements are that you know we all have out there, and those are my two. So if um, if someone doesn't meet that, I am more than willing to find someone uh, who is because I want her to be, as you say, comfortable and happy. And then this particular doctor made her incredibly uncomfortable. She was very nervous and she just looked so sad and she was very intimidated Aww. by him. And and that was just not a good thing for me. And I thought we're never coming back here, and I was thrilled to uh, be rid of him. Yeah, well, and that's nothing anybody should have to put up with if they've got dementia or not. I mean, Sure, absolutely. You know, that, I mean, that's just a good rule of thumb for all of us to utilize <laughs> mm-hmm. when, we're, when we're looking to hire somebody. Now, you yeah. have a chapter in here, too, and I, I have to have you talk about this, about music sure. therapy, because that <laughs> is so... Um, near and dear to my heart. So, can you yes. can you talk a little bit about that chapter? Sure. Um, in it, I I talk about um, uh, music and pets and there's some other uh, little things that uh, can really be helpful when we're trying to um, you know make our loved ones more comfortable and uh, with less anxiety. And for the music, actually, it was really. Uh, brought to my attention by uh, a nurse that comes often to uh, the uh, group home where my mom is. And she uh, asked me if uh, I knew that my mother knew all the words in this particular uh, Episcopal hymnal. And I thought, no, I, you know, I've never seen my mom uh, sing any of the verses without the book in front of her. And she said, did you know if you sing a verse you know, your mom will sing the next verse without the book. And I thought, no, there's no way she can do that. But, of course, she could. So we started, <laughs> I can't sing at all, but the nurse can really sing. And so, you know, they'd be you know, singing these songs. And so we started routinely going through um, the hymnal 
and um, the nurse had recorded some that she thought were my mom's favorite. So then there's some instrumental versions of it, and we just start playing and singing, and she just smiles, um, and we don't even <laughs> use the book. I have to use the book because I don't know the words. But, yeah, it's been, you know, incredible. I, I love seeing the the glow on her face, and we do the same thing in the car. Uh, my mother, uh, my entire life was incredibly anxiety-filled, even getting in the car and going around the corner. So thanks to Sirius XM Radio, with the stations that she remembers from the 30s and 40s, I turned those on, and there she is with uh, Frank Sinatra and singing the words, yay. And so um, what we try to do is program those you know, stations in and, and just sing along and you know, work with that. That's when I think she's happiest. She seems to be really proud, if that's a great word, that, you know, she remembers all the words and, and that, and we just have a great time. It's a very um, significant bonding time for mm-hmm. us, which is really cool. Very, very fun. My mom um, just adores music, too, and I didn't realize how calming that was. I never, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I've always liked music, cannot sing a note. I'll scream in the car and in the shower when I'm alone. Um, but what I what I have learned over my 30-year journey um, with my mom now is I'll, wow. I'll sing sometimes at the nursing home because nobody cares. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nobody not cares. That's true. Nobody, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. And that was that was like a big revelation to me. Like, really? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And so my mom, even in her end stages, says very few words, is in a wheelchair, needs to be fed mm-hmm. and toileted, everything. Um, mm-hmm. She will hear music. And she actually, and it blows me away because I've never seen her do this all of growing up. Never, never, ever. And like three times she has done this amazing shimmy. Now this is a woman who has oh. no control over her body. And all of a sudden <laughs> she'll be listening to the music and she's looking up at the ceiling like she sees somebody and she does a shimmy like dancing to the stars with the program. And I just like, I, you know, I'm scrambling for my camera and trying to get a picture and of course I exactly. never have and and it's such a precious moment, you know. That really, to really is. That. You know, I love the the picture part. That's cool. Oh yeah, and she, you know, or sometimes, and I have a ton of, um, I shouldn't say a ton of videos, but we, uh, a friend of mine, offered to videotape my mom while another friend sang uh, with her, mm-hmm. and um, again, this was probably. <laughs> Three years ago when she was in end stages, and I think I have probably 10 short videos on my Alzheimer's Speaks YouTube channel. And mm-hmm. I, I've walked into conferences and seen my mom on the big screen uh, because there, there's been right. literally tens of thousands of, of hits on these things. And it sure. just shows my mom going from a sleeping state or being nonverbal and kind of that blank stare to singing. Mm-hmm. You see her hands moving and you see her facial expressions. And it's just incredible. It's that really That really is cool. I'm lucky that my mom can still dance. Well, she's always loved to dance, took dance classes, you know, herself as teenagers and continued to like to dance as an adult. And when we had our 25th anniversary celebration, um, people asked, are you going to bring your mother? And I was determined to bring, you know, my mom. I had somebody specifically, you know, watching her so she couldn't run off because she's pretty fast. So you know, <laughs> during the reception part, she just danced and danced and danced. And, you know, she has such a sense of humor about 
her dementia. And she had danced like three songs in a row without sitting down. And I said, Mom, aren't you, you know, getting, you know, tired? Don't you want to rest? And she says, oh, you know, the the dementia, you know, she forgot to be tired. And so (laughs) we all just (laughs) laughed and laughed. And she just has the best sense of humor about it. But I I was really getting worried. And that's probably one of, uh, you know, my favorite videos. And, you know, she can sing to the words and dance, you know, at the same time. Really just a cool thing. And I think, as you said, I think the small moments like that, part of my visualization is, Thinking back to those times, we had a really big incident right after that uh, anniversary thing where, you know, she passed out and everything. And uh, I remember while I was waiting for news and that kind of thing and, uh, you know, just visualizing back to our, you know, great moments just a few days prior uh, to that. So I use those kinds of moments to, you know, get through all of the bad things because, you know, who knew that she'd still be, you know, singing and dancing when she can barely answer a question at all, you know, at all. So I can't explain that, but I'm very happy for it. Yeah, and, and you know, with the dancing, I mean, my mom used to love mm-hmm. to dance, too. And as the disease progressed with her, you know, pretty soon I was dancing with her when she was in her wheelchair. And right. then that that right. didn't work so much anymore. So then we did what we mm-hmm. call the hand dance, where I would just right. take her hand in mine and we would dance um, to the music, both sitting down, and now we're down to a finger dance, you know. Right. But we're we're right. still connected to that music because it's so mm-hmm. powerful. The emotions are there. The the history. I mean, if if any of us sit back and think of how many times have you cried in your car or right. burst out right. in laughter when you've heard a song because it brought you back to a moment yes. and a connection, Absolutely. and and people with dementia haven't lost that. Um, and right. so it's it's and it's so, I mean it's it's free. I mean it can be simple and inexpensive and um, bring all of you joy and calm. Um, Coral Health, who is um, one of the one of uh, the companies that I absolutely adore, has um, what they call music prescriptions, and they can actually right. get music to help wake you up, help you eat, <laughs> put you to sleep, calm you down. Um, and it's you know it's all research based, so right. you know this is something we should not should not take for granted um, at all. And you the, mentioned the, music first earlier too, and I use mm-hmm. that. On my, I have that on my iPhone as well. So, oh <laughs> good, yeah, yeah, they're with Coral Health, and they are just absolutely wonderful. The app is really great. Is. They're, they've mm-hmm. started to expand. Um, I think they're doing stuff for newborns now, and. Right. Um, cancer um you know therapy and stuff as well so yeah check it out coral health um, yeah i didn't know that there was specific music for sundowning i had no idea that Mm -hmm. there were so i i really learned a lot um, from it since she does love music um you know so much it's uh it's just such a great like you said it's you know virtually free so you know why Mm -hmm. not uh, use it and i think that's been i think that's been really great the other thing she really loves um that's sort of actually post the book, something she's been doing since uh, it came out, and that's reading out loud, and we also can't explain that. But, you know, no matter where we are, I mean, like you said, who cares what she's doing? So people, um, you know, may stare if she's reading out loud, you know, in the CVS or something, but, um, you know, we read a lot to her, different um, 
I did a Thanksgiving prayer with her on uh, Thanksgiving morning and just a variety of different things that I know, you know, calm her down and make her feel good. Even It doesn't even matter how old the book is or anything like that or the, if it's news, if it's not new, she doesn't care. So um, these are things that we really enjoy doing together as well. So um, I never knew I'd be reading to my mom, but it, it's a really great experience too. Oh, neat. Yeah, it's it's powerful stuff. It's really, really powerful stuff. Now, you also have a chapter, you know, in here about heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And can you yes. can you talk to us a little bit about heartbreak? Because this, this can be a devastating disease. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. And heartbreak can hit us on multiple levels many times. Sure. I think... Um the the biggest thing i think is sometimes just not being able to um you know share things in you know the family that are going on you have to keep a lot of things to yourself and you know that's always uh really scary because you don't know um what to do and you know how to um you know really deal with it and i think the first piece of big thing that uh, my mom and I had was really about her checkbook. You know, my mom was really big about her uh, funds, and so the first, you know, real exercise we, we had to do was um, to you know, take over the checkbook, and she kept asking, why can't I keep my own money? You know, where are you taking my checkbook? And I think that's the most, you know, some of the earliest drama we had, and she was really upset about it and that I was taking all her money and, you know, I don't have any money now and, and these kinds of things. So, you know, we finally uh, got through that, but it was just terrible. I did actually, you know, based on her reaction, I, I kind of did feel like I was, um, you know, robbing my own mother. So that was um, just really kind of a a big issue. And then I think um, the, one of the most life-changing things uh, for me was about our um, family secret, and, and basically my entire life, um, I had always wondered um, why my father left home, you know, after delivering me, left uh, literally a, a day or so later, and never came back. <clears throat> and I was always mm-hmm. very curious what happened, and you know, why were that? And there were a variety of stories uh, about that, but I never found out the real story until. Um, after my mom had been uh, diagnosed. So basically the story was, you know, my dad had attempted to see my sister and I, but that my mom had um, basically forbidden him to see us. And so my mm-hmm. whole life I thought my dad had just left and gone away and run away and that kind of thing. But as it turned out, when he, you know, did try to see us, um, it was my mother who basically paid him off, so to speak, to do that. And I was crushed, you know, beyond belief to to learn that particular piece of information because, you know, she not only had kept that from me, but also, um, you know, it really changed the course of my life because that, by then it was too late to meet him. He had died. And so um, I really was just um, heartbroken. And that was, I think, one of the hardest things we had to overcome. But again, I think um, as upset as I was about it, it really did change the the course of my life, so to speak, or it answered a lot of questions that I'd had for more than 40 years. So mm-hmm. <laughs> very few people get answers after that length of time. But I think how I approached it was whatever she did, even though I didn't like it, whatever she did, she thought it was the best decision for her as a parent at that time, and I just mm-hmm. needed to, to let it go. And um, 
you know, I think it is one of the hardest things I ever had to do because I certainly want to have a conversation about it, but, um, you know, was unable, you know, was unable to. So I think, you know, those kinds of things, um, you know, family dynamics that change are, you know, really are um, heartbreaking. And then you end up keeping secrets of your own that you can't share with your um, parent either. So one of the greatest heartbreaks from that perspective for me was um, not being able to tell my mother that my sister had died. And um, hmm, that was hard. My sister um, uh, had MS, and in the late stages, we kept trying to get my mom and and she together via Skype, but um, she had very slurred speech by that time, so my mother thought she was drunk, and it really scared her to talk to her, so we didn't do it anymore. But because of the way dementia patients, you know, grieve and sort of over and over and over, because they keep asking the same question, where's so-and-so? And they say, oh, they died. And um, to sort of prevent that, I decided that that was simply not information that my mother needed to know or basically could do anything with. And thankfully, her neurologist uh, 100% agreed uh, with that, and we just chose um, not to tell her. And to this yeah. day, she, I think, still believes that she only had one child. Mm-hmm. So. Because people always want to know, what are you going to do when she asks you about it, if she ever does? Because I do have a niece, and so she, she can't make the connection about where the niece came from because she only has one child. So um, for right now, that's the answer. Yeah, and that you know that rolls right back into what we started on, on forgiveness. Sure. And being being able sure. to let that go. You know, we, mm-hmm. you know, my family, um, you know, all three of us kids have gotten divorced. My mom and dad knew that my my older brother did, but um, and then my dad passed away, um, and so he wasn't around. But then we chose not to tell mom that Scott got divorced and I got divorced. And mm-hmm. I remember speaking about that at a conference one time, and someone said, "Well, how could you not tell her?" And I said, "Because it's not about mm-hmm. it's not about um, us. Right. It's about her." Right. And that right. would be really upsetting to her, and you can't rationalize why that happened. And so, right. you know, and, and it's hard to think that she doesn't know. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and maybe she does in her own way because, you know, Definitely. like my husband's not around and normally he would be. I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't know, but, uh, you know, we just chose not to upset her. Right. Know, with, with I, I think they get, it's so hard to calm them down once they get um, upset. And I think one of the biggest, I think, grief periods and heartbreak for me, and I, I simply just realized that I sort of had two mothers, my Aunt Franny, who I talk about a lot in the book, and who um, was my you know person I bounced everything off. And because she was still around, it, it made um, sort of grieving for my mom a little easier. And uh, my aunt died in August. And so I'm still, you know, processing that as well. Well, interestingly, on her birthday a few weeks ago, my mom and I used to always go see Franny on her birthday and have this birthday cake. And I thought, wow, what am I going to do? She asked. So I said, do you know what today is? And she didn't remember exactly, but when I told her it was November 18th, and she said, oh, it's someone's birthday. And then I told her she remembered that, but didn't remember who. I told her who. And then she, she said, are we having birthday cake? And 
And I thought, hmm. So I waited a minute, and she said, let's sing happy birthday to it. So for 20 minutes in the car, we sang the worst rendition ever of happy birthday <laughs> to Franny. And it was just, and so it took all my sadness away. And then, you know, she right on cue, she said, sing it again. And then happy birthday. To, I mean, it was hysterical. But I was so sad on that day. But that singing of happy birthday over and over really um you know, you know, lifted the moment, but she never once asked, "Why aren't we having cake?" So we, you know, sort of skated, you know, through that. But uh, you know, and I think you just make these decisions, maybe not so much on spur of the moment, but whatever's going on at the time. I, that's kind of how I've gotten through it. But um, just there is so much um, heartbreak, you know, in almost anything associated really with this disease. But going back to our support. Uh, team part, whether that's your spouse or your um, <clears throat> your children, we are blessed to have a, a wonderful granddaughter at this point, and she just makes me laugh. And it seems like on my saddest days, you know, I always get to see her and, and, and kind of lift right up. So we just have to surround ourselves with these kinds of different support elements that get us through, you know, these really um, bad times. So in spite of the fact that my Aunt Franny's gone, I can't really bounce things off her. Um, I won't say I replaced her because I certainly have not, but you find um, other ways to get the support that you need to care for yourself as well. Yeah, very, very true. And I think giving ourselves permission, like you said with your mom, your mom made the best decision possible right. that that <laughs> she felt at the time, you know, for, yeah. for everyone concerned. And, sure. you know, we have to understand that, you know, over time we learn, you know, new things. We, mm -hmm. you know, our, perspec our, our perceptions change um, because of what right. we've learned and how we've lived our lives. And, and so we can't judge the past. The past is That's what correct. the past is. And we just, mm -hmm. we have to accept it and, and move forward. And, um, sure and not let it interfere with mm -hmm. each and every moment that we have that we have left right. um because it's just it's such a critical critical thing um mm -hmm. what are some of the most successful therapies that that have worked for you it sounds like music definitely was one of those um you know when you're when you're engaging your mom what what other mm -hmm. things well, we do we do a lot of um, exercise, which is really uh, cool for her uh, too. And I'm surprised at how much of it she remembers. When she lived alone in her retirement community, there were two of her favorite classes were um, Tai Chi and then also something called Stretch and Flex, one of which she led. And so we still I have the the DVDs of those classes, and it's amazing to me how many of the Tai Chi moves she still remembers. And it keeps her really calm, and it keeps her limbs moving. We can do it together, and uh, we have all the tapes and DVDs at the uh, group home. So that's something that we like to do um, together as well. And then I try, and you know, even when we go for walks that that she's been on, you know millions of times we still point out things that are new and different just trying to you know keep her mind active in terms of the different seasons you know we took her to see the leaves change and those kinds of things so mostly it's really about getting her out because she is so um uh, just still a very virile person and can can still do so many things she walks as fast as i do in in some cases and so um just really trying to keep her Active, And so that's been probably one of the most successful things. I think people are really surprised that she doesn't have a cane or, or anything. 
at this point. So for me, it really is about uh, continuing to get her out into the community, um, you know, as long as she's having a fairly good day, and and then just try to keep her you know, moving as long as we um, possibly can. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, yeah, I think, now, that's a, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it definitely, definitely is. And, you know, keeping active is good for all of us. I mean, it's good for our bodies to, to move. I know when I sit too long now, it's like I need an oil can. I'm like, ee, 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 <laughs> you know. And, exactly. And, and so, you know, a, a person who is aging and who is ill mm-hmm. needs that movement as well. And, right. you know, if that's sitting in a chair because they can't walk and moving their arms or their legs, um, you know, there's different ways to be able to still still do that movement and be connected sure. and, and make it fun. You know, make it don't yeah. make it a chore. Make it make it fun. Um, one last question I wanted to ask you sure. was, how do you avoid the guilt over mm-hmm. whether you're making the right decisions? Because I uh. think that's something that haunts us yeah. all. It does haunt us. I think um, we really have to just have confidence, going back to really the patience thing where it talked about having self-confidence. You really have to have self-confidence in the decisions that you make, that you are doing the best for them, like the the three things that you mentioned, that they're safe and happy and, and, and all those things. And so if I am sure that that is the you know, outcome, that she is going to be happy, that she's going to be safe, then, you know, I have to let go of the guilt. And I think the most guilt uh, I had, you know, in our personal case was moving her from her retirement community to this group home. And the group home really was a um, idea, sort of a compromise. You know, we wanted to bring her here to our house. My husband loves my mother, but uh, we had promised my mom, my sister and I years ago, that we would never, you know, force her, her word, to live with us. So the group home that was very close to me was a great thing. Um, but I did, I am somewhat guilty about not being able to bring her here where she could be with us, you know, all the time. But it's not what she wanted. So as long as I can afford it, that's where um, she'll be. So you, you, you do second-guess yourself sometimes. But when I look at her, you know, I go there several times a week, and when I look at her, and she smiles, and, you know, she thinks she's living on her own. Oh, thanks for coming to my apartment. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, it's wonderful. She's, you know, she's very, very happy. So I try to just um, convince myself that this is the best thing, and she is safe, and she is happy and very secure. And even if it doesn't seem popular at the time, it is the right thing. So, you know, second-guessing yourself can just bring about so much anxiety and make whatever the situation is that you're facing, you know, worse. And uh, I think well, I had one very expensive uh, lesson that I learned putting her in daycare, which she, you know, hated, and then uh, saving the money and, and then taking her out when she refused to go. So, you know, and I said, oh, I just wanted to keep her active. But, again, that was about me. It wasn't about what she wanted to do, which was, was sitting, read, and not do a lot of activities with other people. So just one of those lessons. Yeah, well, and I think, too, you know, one of the things that I learned, you know, my mom moved into a nursing home, but we were really lucky. She asked to move into the nursing home um, mm-hmm. because my because my dad was there. But one of the things that I will never, ever, 
ever forget as long as I live was the day that I walked in and it was a turning point for me because I had all this guilt about, you know, she should live with us, this was the plan, blah, 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 blah. And we got -hmm. got along great. They had, my folks had a room here when they came to visit. I mean, um, you know, my family was very accepting. There there really were no issues. Um, But she wanted to be with my dad when my dad ended up having to... um, go to a nursing home and she said you know we've been together 49 and a half years and i'm not leaving them now and it was like oh my gosh how do you argue wow. with that you know and so wow. she she moved in but one day i walked in and some of my listeners have probably heard this story before but i think it's so critical for those who haven't because it, it was a big letting go moment and a big aha for me but i walked mm-hmm. in and my mom was in this horseshoe um, group in chairs and the activities person was sitting in the middle with like an Oprah magazine and it was just filled with all these bright beautiful flowers and they Mm -hmm. were going around and each person was saying what that reminded them of and they were reminiscing Ah. and they were so engaged and I just remember thinking I couldn't give my mom that 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 group of feeling like she's wow. in, has a peer group and we mm-hmm. all like our friends you know and That's i'm sure great. your mom's got her friends at at her mm-hmm. group home and it's her mm-hmm. community and and you know family is one thing but friends friends is a whole nother thing and Very true. you know friends help us feel purposeful and that we belong and that we're independent and and family can do that, but in a very different way. And very so um, don't underestimate the power, you know, of others. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're pulling somebody in the home to help you, if you know, you, if you're placing somebody, um, really think about what's the best overall situation, you know, right. for your absolutely. loved one. Well, yeah, um, definitely. Loretta, this has just been a wonderful conversation. And again, I I just love your book, Being My Mom's Mom, A Journey Thank Through you. Dementia from a Daughter's Perspective. And I, I really mm-hmm. encourage people to, to get out there and, and purchase this book. You've got a lot of great, great information in here. How do how do people get your book, Loretta? What's the best way? Well, it's um, on Amazon. That's the way it's... Um probably had the most exposure, so um, being my mom's mom on Amazon. It's also on my website, which is pretty easy. It's just my name, www.LorettaVini.com. And so those are probably the two primary ways to um, get a hold of the book uh, and get a hold of me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for for spending this last hour with us. It was um, it was very fun having this conversation. And, um, it was I great. You- and your family, nothing but the best over over the holidays and continued success with your book. And for those of you that would purchase the book, don't forget, when you read the book, do a review, too, because um, that just always helps our authors, you know, if you can do a, a review for them as well. Well, thank yeah. you again so much for, for being with us. Really appreciate your time today, Loretta. And, thank uh, you, Lori. And again, listeners, you can just click on the web page there and uh, find uh, find Loretta's website and and 
get right to it and uh, order that book or contact her um, if you'd like. And Loretta, do you do presentations at all in terms of speaking? I do. I've done um, a ton of presentations uh, already for the book, which has really been uh, surprising. So they can contact me. Uh, LWVini uh, at AOL.com is my um, primary email, but it's uh, accessible on the website as well. And I do, um, pretty, I've done libraries and coffee houses and memory care facilities. I donated the um, half the proceeds of uh, all the money I raised in November, which was National Alzheimer's Awareness Month. And um, that was just a phenomenal experience in getting out. I did one thing a day to bring more awareness to uh, Alzheimer's disease, and it was probably one of the best months of my life. And I did uh, 11 presentations uh, during November, including another radio show. So it was uh, fabulous. Just oh, really, wonderful. I learned I learned so much from the um, you know about the disease and about all the support. As your uh, first caller was saying today, Vivian was saying, there's so much support out there. You just have to get out there and talk about it and find people in similar situations uh, that you're in as well. And I think um, I learned more in the month of November than I did in um, the the three years, of the first three years that uh, my mom had the disease. So I'm very proud of that and hope to continue to um, become a caregiver facilitator and some of those other things and to keep the awareness going. So I appreciate everything that you do as well. This is a phenomenal venue that you have, and uh, I really appreciate you having me on your show. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much, and you have a wonderful holiday, okay? And you too, Laura. Take care. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. In wrapping up the show, I just do want to remind everyone that today we do have our Dementia Chats webinar. That will be starting at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, 2 p.m. Central, and that is noon Pacific Time. And Harry Urban will be with us. I think Michael Ellen Bogan is going to be able to join us as well. And we really encourage people to participate uh, during during those talks. Uh, you'll be able to find more information on that on our Facebook, uh, Dementia Chats Facebook page. I'll be posting that shortly with that link and also on the blog. Have a wonderful holiday season, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye now. Hi everyone, this is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.